0: Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio.
1: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode, actually episode 107, not just another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. My name is Nick Hill. I'm a real estate investor, mortgage agent, and partner at Land Bank Advisors, and co-host of this amazing podcast. And I'm joined today and every Tuesday and Friday
0: by Daniel Foch. Daniel Foch here. I am also a real estate investor, partner at Land Bank, director of economic research at Rare Real Estate, and also one half of this podcast.
1: Dan, I don't think you have enough titles. You either need a few more or like one overarching one, like maybe like Mr. Real Estate or... Doctor, real estate, or maybe
0: CCO, Chief Charts Officers. Any of those to your liking? I actually hate titles, so no. Um, <laughs> my LinkedIn literally just says real estate. Um, but yeah, I'm a guy that likes real estate and charts, and that's that's all.
1: Yeah, yeah. Anyways, for those of you are just tuning into the show for the first
0: time, welcome. This is one hell of an episode to start things off with. Yeah, so today we're going to be chatting about the Bank of Canada, interest rates, QE and QT, uh, job numbers, home prices and more. So if any of this seems too complicated, because this is one of those episodes that can get pretty into the weeds, um, go back and listen to our other episodes where we dive into a lot of these terms, these institutions and the ideas around today's episode.
1: Yeah, exactly, Dan. Here on the show we like to cover all the simple stuff cuz realistically real estate is simple and investing is simple when you know the core principles and and fundamentals. We also like to make the complicated stuff as simple as possible cuz I'm just a simple guy at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, and exactly. Actually, it's just funny cuz I think when we started, you know, you were like very beginner's mind in real estate and it was like we had this nice dichotomy of you correcting or like or I always said like lemony snicket where he like goes back and defines a term, but now you've like, you've learned a lot since we've started the show. And so I guess that happens when you do this twice a day or twice a week for a year. Yeah. Anyway, on that note, why don't we get into the episode?
1: yeah yeah um okay so we are recording this on wednesday july 12th you won't be hearing this until the following tuesday so you already know that the bank of canada increased its target overnight rate to five percent which puts the bank rate at five and a quarter and the deposit rate at five percent this is a 22 year high for the benchmark rate But, you know, all the industry experts and the economists were predicting this one.
0: Well, yeah, it's good. Uh, Sorry, it's good they got it right this time because they were all wrong on the last one. Yeah, well, who's, yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of rights and wrongs over
1: the last over the last couple of years uh, with real estate and interest rates. But regardless of that, this is the 10th interest rate hike since last March. That's March of 2022. And this 25 basis point hike brings the bank's overnight rate to 5%. And Prime, by the time you're listening to this, will be at about 7.2%. And that is the highest it's been since 2001. So the bank here is obviously continuing its policy of QT or quantitative tightening. Whatever that means. Yeah, I mean, why don't you explain it? Why don't you? You're the dictionary. Yeah. Well. Okay. Fine. I guess. I guess we'll start with QE, uh, or quantitative easing. Um, so I'll explain that, and then, and then Dan, you can explain QT. Did you just call me a cutie? Yeah, you're a stud, buddy. What do you want me to say? <laughs> okay. So QE, quantitative easing. It involves a central bank buying assets in the open market. This usually involves government bonds, the safest asset in a fixed income area. But in other cases, for example, the Bank of Japan, central banks have moved on to other types of assets further along the risk spectrum.
0: Okay, Dan, now you go ahead, QT or QT, <laughs> sorry. I uh, Okay, so so quantitative tightening or QT quantitative trading is exactly the opposite of QE. It's taking back that money supply by no longer buying assets in that market, but selling assets. So putting assets back into the market, taking um, or, or uh, shrinking their balance sheet is one of the terms that you hear. In this way, the central bank sells its balance sheet assets, basically all the bonds that they've had on their balance sheet at the moment. And this reduces the money supply floating around in the economy. It also will Um, cause yields to to change
1: okay so that's qe and qt and if you've been paying attention you've probably heard those terms either on the show or or likely in the news but let's get back to our regular scheduled programming from the bank of canada here dan
0: yeah, and keep in mind, uh, we don't always dive into the BOC rate decisions, but there's some interesting things to look at right here. Um, honestly, this time it looks like they're kind of paying a lot of attention to the strength in the housing market as an indicator, which which scares me a bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, global inflation is easing with lower energy prices and a decline in goods price inflation as well.
0: Yeah, so that's that's the opening line of the Bank of Canada's statement from their release today, and it's true. Inflation in the U.S. Uh, CPI just came in at 3% year-over-year year today.
1: However, robust demand and a tight labor market are causing persistent inflationary pressures in services. Economic growth has been stronger than expected, especially in the United States where consumers and businesses have been surprisingly resilient.
0: Yeah, and they they do go on to say, and it's interesting too, because in the U.S., you know, we've heard that the the CPI being in low doesn't take another rate hike off the table. Goes on to say, after a surge in early 2023, China's economic growth is softening with slowing exports and ongoing weakness in its property sector. Growth in the euro area is effectively solved. So it looks like we're seeing this global slowdown or very little growth in global GDP. Um, and the services co- sector is continuing to grow in Canada, but manufacturing is contracting. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're so
1: focused on Canada. Obviously, this is the Canadian Real Estate Investor podcast. And we're all Canadians, or actually, most of our audience is Canadians. We have. Members that are audience members that listen all over the world, but this is this is not a Canada-specific problem. There's inflationary and interest rate problems happening on a global scale, and the Bank of Canada goes on to say that global financial conditions have tightened, and that's because bond yields are up in North America and Europe, as major central banks signal further interest rate increases. Further interest rate increases—that's after today—may be needed to combat the ongoing inflationary pressures.
0: Yeah, and the the press release, um, you know, Tiff did say that uh, they would not hesitate. They're going to watch closely, and they're not—they would not hesitate to to hike more if they need to. So, I, I mean, a lot of people seem to think this is like the final rate hike. I, I don't necessarily know if that's true. I think it depends on a lot of variables. Just like the the rate pause was conditional, the uh, finality of this hike is conditional. Um the bank's monetary policy report projects the global economy will grow around 2.8% this year which is less than inflation so that's real uh, contraction that's a real recession um so basically you take that growth and uh and subtract inflation from it and if that number is negative that's contraction in real terms when adjusted for inflation uh and they expect it to grow at 2.4% in 2024 followed by 2.7% in 2025
1: Now, Canada's economy has been stronger than expected. With more momentum in demand, consumption growth has been surprisingly strong at 5.8% in the first quarter, while the bank expects consumer spending to slow in response to the cumulative increase in interest rates. Recent retail trade and other data suggest that persistent excess demand in the economy. In
0: addition, the housing market has seen some pickup. Oh, here we go. Wait, let me guess it's a good time to buy. And <laughs> it says uh, it says here a new real estate investing podcast came out and too many Canadians went to invest in real estate now. <laughs>
1: I feel targeted.
0: Yeah, no, I actually think it says uh, new construction and real estate listings are lagging demand, which is adding pressure to to prices, um, which is is true. I mean, so the supply side tightness has really been a big thing. Although I do think they really discounted seasonality with this report. I mean, they're saying everything was so strong, but to me, like the 10% growth that we like, what, what would they really expect? Like on, if you're using the average of median prices, you're going to see growth from January to, to May anyway. And I'm just, I think I always thought they were going to overshoot anyway, but now I really think they're going to. Yeah,
1: I, I mean, you know, time, time will tell. I'm, we're not in the prediction business here. But anyways, in, in the labor markets, there are signs of more availability of workers, but conditions still remain tight and wage growth has been around four to five percent.
0: Strong population growth from immigration is adding both demand and supply to the economy. So new, newcomers are helping on the employment side. They're helping to ease the shortage of workers while also boosting consumer spending and adding to demand for housing. And this, this part's kind of interesting. Because, you know, they haven't talked a ton about immigration before other than like I posted an article on Twitter recently. And in uh, December, Tiff had said, you know, we need to basically boost immigration a ton or face further rate hikes. Um, it is it's such a difficult thing, right? Because it's inflationary on the, um, you know, on the everything else side and it's deflationary on the wage side. And so it's fascinating in that perspective anyway let's read a few of the mentions of housing as we always do you know typically we try and go through these monetary policy reports and just see where they've mentioned housing and what their perspective is on it
1: yeah for sure i'll start things off here but uh you know i love i love tiff's ultimatums (laughs) you know
0: more population or else okay um it's funny because it's like he only has one or else it's like more more this or interest rates
1: yeah so we already know how interest rates go um Housing resales and house prices also picked up earlier than anticipated. At the same time, the labor market remained tight, having eased only mildly since
0: the beginning of the year. And I guess they they go on to put in a table, uh, which is the contributions to average annual real GDP growth. And they put housing on that table as last year it was a negative contribution to, to real GDP growth. And this year they're predicting the same thing, negative just shy of negative one percent. So, and last year it was uh, negative one point one percent. This this year negative zero point eight percent. So not as bad as last year. If you're in the real estate space um, and you make your income from this, you can rest assured that. Uh, actually, I wouldn't be assured, but you can. Uh, don't rest either. <laughs> don't rest. Yeah, <laughs> but you, you know you can. Hope that the Bank of Canada is right here and that the, that the real estate market will outperform what it did last year. I would say probably will on a volume basis. Price is the next question. But anyway, 2024 and 2025, they see it contributing positively to GDP at 0.5% and 0.6% respectively.
1: Yeah. I mean, I did find that chart fascinating. I mean, to, you know, to see 2022 minus 1.1 and then all the way in 2025, we, you know, we're, we're at 0.6 positive, right? So, I mean, that, there's a there's a lot of movement there. And and that's no joke. I mean, that housing makes up a massive portion of, of GDP through construction and labor markets and, and trading and building real estate and all that stuff. So, interesting to see how that'll play out. Uh, the report goes on to say, he said, during the press release, when we raised interest rates, we saw housing slow quite sharply. It is true that they didn't slow as much as they thought they would. And that's that housing has ticked back up.
0: Yeah, Inflation is is sticky, honestly. And and I think um, they went on to mention, I think when he was asked, and I think they mentioned in the report as well, that uh, they don't think we're going to hit that 2% target rate until the mid 2025, which is crazy from my perspective.
1: Yeah, it's a little ways out. And I think, um, you know, they was also saying there they were predicting no rate cuts until maybe, you know, second half of, of 2024 and and maybe into 2025. And that's if we're able to get down to
0: those um, target inflation rates. Yeah, I don't know why they go into the, the business of predicting anything because they're, <laughs> they're just characteristically exceptionally wrong on their predictions. I mean, we had the low for a long time and then we had, you know. Maybe it's like the inverse creamer thing. It could be, (laughs) right? I mean, um, yeah, it is funny though, from my perspective. Like I I think they – like that's making the assumption that their policy goes exactly the way that they want it to and that we don't see a brutal recession as a result of uh, all of this, this excessive um, increasing. And, you know, you're starting to see it really like on the the ground, um, you know, or I guess like your kind of main street where publicly like today – seeing a lot of like empathetic consoling posts from like mortgage professionals to their clients publicly you know like Mm -hmm. getting a lot of Mm -hmm. phone calls from people who were just like when is this going to be over right i'm seeing it a lot i'm seeing a lot of people discussing selling i mean people were have been white knuckling for a year and and hoping that they were rushing to get rates up so that they could get them down and not anticipating the lagging impact and how long it takes to get into a recession and to turn this thing around. And so I get, I feel for a lot of people out there and I think that there's a lot of, a lot of um, financial stress. And I think that that does will materialize in some problems in, in the market and the economy um, over the next 12 months.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can speak to that on a, on a, on a personal note. It is, it is tricky, you know, and, and Dan, I'm sure you can do, I mean, the phone calls we've been having recently, aren't aren't the you know the happy joyous phone calls they used to be they're they're a lot more stressful these days and and I don't blame people I mean Dan you and I both invest in real estate and and are very actively involved and in, and the landscape has has really changed so um yeah I mean I I I totally understand those those brokers and agents out there trying to console people publicly as well um the report goes on to say, uh, let's talk about house prices. The faster than expected pickup in housing resales combined with the lack of supply has pushed house prices higher than anticipated in January. The previously unforeseen strength in those house prices is likely to persist and boost inflation by as much as 0.3 percentage points by the end of 2023. And that's compared with the
0: January outlook. Yeah, and... um yeah, I mean that's a that's a kind of a bold prediction um that that the growth will contribute to inflation there. But um I'm interested to see how it plays out.
1: Yeah, now I mean Dan, you've said a few times that what the Bank of Canada does right now doesn't really matter a ton. Let's let's dive into that.
0: Yeah, I mean I I think that I, I, I have said in the past that it doesn't matter in regards to New demand. So because most purchasers are buying with a fixed rate right now. And so it would be more worth looking at your government of Canada bond yields that determine fixed rates. Um, but it does matter on the supply side to existing owners or borrowers who are, you know, as a result of. Um, rates continuing to increase, feeling more and more financial stress each time this happens, or more and more financial stress each time rates don't go down. Uh, there's a lot of cash negative properties people bought on on variable rates and that's not improving. Uh, but if you look at the the Government of Canada two-year bond, um, it, it was close to 5% yesterday. Um, so, this is the market telling us that they expect short-term money to be... You know, you're kind of 5% plus 2, so like 6 to 7%. Um, scary stuff. Uh, government of Canada five year passed 4% earlier this week, which is likely going to lead to seeing 6% fixed rates. Um, and, and, and economists all agreed that they would hike this time. So it seems like the market is getting less and less willing to try and call Tiff's bluff because last time they were wrong. So, and and it's nice because I think um, a lot of people in the real estate profession are following the advice of economists right now. So it was, it's nice for them to be correct uh, rather than last time. It, the last hike really did seem to take a lot of steam out of the, the market. That's what I've heard at least.
1: Yeah, this just seems to kind of be like you know the nail
0: in the coffin or the the cherry on top or or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, for sure. And I think you know it, one of the things that that kind of struck me was how much they were talking about housing on on the, the press release by comparison to this time last uh, or, or by comparison to the um, the last presses and the last monetary policy report. Um, but that being said, I mean you know in the, in the last ones they were really focused on employment and jobs. And it seems like they've shifted away from that because it seems like immigration is really loosening up the employment market. It seems like a lot of people are actually returning to the workforce. So you're seeing a work por- a workforce participation rate causing unemployment to rise. And so TIF's focus seems to have gone um, into housing from um, from employment. But do you want to maybe give me just a couple of... Because the, the, we did see jobs numbers this week. Do you want to just read me a couple of those lines from the article about why they've sort of gotten away from unemployment?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, the Canadian labor market is showing some signs of softening as the unemployment rate rises and wage growth slows, but the other, but another solid job gain in June, forecasters are still expecting an interest rate hike by the Bank of Canada uh and that is the one that happened and and by the way the next uh Bank of Canada um rate will be uh rate Announcement is, is September sixth, though you know, we're already starting to see people talk about the possibility of another one then not to ruin everybody's remaining summer months here, but uh that, that's not something that can be um taken lately. And just before we go on here, Dan, like you know, the the average Canadian salary is around sixty thousand dollars, right? Now there's not a lot of wiggle room in there for the for these people that are employed that have these sixty thousand dollar salaries in and around there. Um, it's not like, you know, your your mortgage payment goes up a thousand bucks. It's not like your employer is giving you an extra grand a month to cover that. So um, people are in are in pretty tricky situations. Uh, Statistics Canada reports the economy added 60,000 jobs in June and uh, driven by gains in full time work. That's good. Uh, But as more Canadians search for work and the population continued to grow, the unemployment rate climbed higher to 5.4%. That's the highest it's been in more than a year. The reason the unemployment rate can rise alongside historically strong employment growth is the population growth continues to set new records. So, yeah, we're looking good. But if you keep on adding new people in, it starts to skew the numbers, similar to how Toronto and Vancouver skew the numbers across the country, uh, just because we've got too many people in these, these two countries and too much, too much money floating around. Immigration is doing the same thing to the job market. Now, that's including 84,000 monthly increase in June alone. And that's from uh, RBC Assistant Chief Economist Nathan Jansen. June also marked the second month in a row where unemployment rate has arisen as economists watch for the softening of the labor market amid the high interest rates. At the same time, employers hiring appetite has bounced back in June after the economy lost 17,000 jobs in May. But overall, the job growth that we saw this month puts this report on the positive side, just not anything we should get excited about. So... What is that? What is that? What emotion is that? Dan, we're, we're positive, but we're not
0: excited. Yeah, we're, I don't know. Mixed we're emotions. okay. Yeah, <laughs> getting by, treading water, getting by. It is. There we Yeah, treading water. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and uh, to shout out to our friends in Newfoundland on the bright side, there, unemployment rate hit a lowest, uh, the lowest on record since 1976. So, I mean, it's it is interesting because when you look at some of these predictions at a national level. Um, certain provinces are expected to get by, right? Um, Saskatchewan mm-hmm. is, um, is going to be, I think, expected to see, experience the most provincial growth in GDP for the next two years. One of the few po- uh, provinces that will see positive growth in GDP for the next couple of years. Actually, I'm going out to Saskatchewan on September 12th to speak at the Saskatchewan Realtors Association. So shout out to anybody there. Uh, give me a shout if you want to grab a lunch or something. Um, and then on that note, we'll talk, uh, talk a little bit about house prices. Um, so the spring market rolled over in Toronto already. Um, so prices are down month over month Volume's still low. It's up from last year, but June of last year wasn't really a great comp. Um, Korea stats come out Thursday this week. Uh, so tomorrow, but, uh, we, we are recording this, so they will be out when this episode goes out, but we'll do a full episode on, on Korea stats probably next week. Alberta's prices are still ripping. Alberta is seeing the highest population growth provincially and uh, the highest provincial population growth in Canada right now. So um, who else has been ripping? Rip, ripping. Uh, OSFI has been ripping lately with some big headlines. Should be <laughs> these OSVI headlines. Um, Bank of Canada regulator mulls changes to ensure banks can absorb absorb mortgage risks and Canada regulator proposes that banks hold more capital to tackle mortgage risks.
1: Now, how do I say this again? It's OSFI. OSFI. Whatever. Offside.
0: (laughs) So today,
1: the Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions, or OSFI, announced a consultation for feedback on proposed changes to the Capital Adequacy Requirements (CAR) and Mortgage Insurer Capital Adequacy Test. Me cat. I thought it was my, my cat. cat.
0: Yeah. Like, you know, my so. cat. That's funnier. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, so we're talking cars and cats today. He's must... just like, oh, yeah, I got to fix my cat. I got to take my cat <laughs> to the vest. Uh, vet. Um these changes will help banks and
1: mortgage insurers address risks related to mortgage mortgages in negative amortization where payments are insufficient to cover even just the interest portion alone
0: so these are your trigger rate loans for those who've been following us for a while we talked about these before they happened we anticipated that this would would happen These these loans still exist the people who hit their trigger rates and have been sort of accommodated by the banks and osfi is really trying to make an effort to fix that uh that issue and and the first way they're going to do that is likely completely getting rid of the static payment variable rate um product um but you know they're proposing other things and they're they're going to do so i think twice a year they they actually like do the changes that they're proposing. So right now, they're sort of in the discovery process of it. Um, So for lenders, these changes would mean holding more capital that aligns with increased risk of mortgages in negative amortization with a loan to value above 65%. So higher loan to value and higher risk loans. And they're asking the banks to lessen the number of mortgages that would otherwise go into negative amortization and hold more money to compensate for the risk position of the other ones. Yeah, I mean, I feel those are pretty good things. I don't, I don't really ever find OSFI to be unreasonable, to be honest with you. Um, it, it sucks. Like they, they're. I mean, this is. It's like these. Are, they're like the principals, right? Like they have to, they have to <laughs> tell people, they have to fix stuff. They have, they have to enforce, right? They're the enforcers. So they're putting the banks in a timeout. Yeah, really, <laughs> honestly. Um, so
1: let's continue here for mortgage insurers, the maximum LTV loan to value ratio for an individual mortgage in the MyCat capital formula formula. Again, that's mortgage insurer capital adequacy test. Say that five times fast. Uh, capital formula will increase from 100% to 105%. This change aligns the my CAD capital formula with the maximum permitted loan to value ratio for insured mortgages
0: so uh, i this one was kind of curious from my perspective um and i'll have to like maybe dive into it a little bit but does this mean that basically they're trying to account for properties that maybe somebody bought with 95 percent loan to value and that have gone um down in value and now they're yeah interesting yeah
1: I, I I would assume. I mean, that's how I'm reading it, right? I mean, 105 percent loan to value. They're common sense, right? 95 percent. You've lost. You've lost capital appreciation. house doesn't appraise for what it used to, um, and and your your amortization is is pushed. And
0: it is interesting, like because the it's interesting that it was 100 percent to begin with. I didn't even know that. But I guess that's just accounting them accounting for um, people are buying with 95 percent and then baking in the four percent. So just a little, little lesson here. If you buy with 95% loan to value, which a lot of first time home buyers do, and then you have to pay a 4% premium, insurance premium to CMHD, but that gets baked into your principal. So the amount that you owe mm-hmm. on your mortgage. So now all of a sudden you actually owe 95 plus 4% um so you owe 99 percent, and then in order to sell the property so you you own one percent well yeah you, you're in, in a one percent equity position as soon as you take possession mm. of the property and then you still have to if you want this doesn't count for land transfer taxes on the way and legal costs right uh, uh switching costs if you want to sell you got to pay a realtor and some other you know mortgage discharge penalty etc cetera, etc cetera. um so fascinating from my perspective actually um but anyway um so, Go ahead. so Dan, when people talk
1: about the the 1%, is is this what they mean? Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I want to be part of the 1%? <laughs>
0: no. No. Yeah, definitely not. Who else is making headlines? Laurentian Bank. Let's talk about that. Oof.
1: Okay, but before we get into the Laurentian bank headlines, because they are they're kind of scary and kind of confusing, let's let's paint a little bit of picture about what Laurentian Bank is and why they're important. So Laurentian Bank of Canada, it's a schedule one bank that operates primarily in the province of Quebec with commercial and business banking offices located across the country in Ontario, Alberta, BC and Nova Scotia.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I don't know if I would call it scary. Like it does seem to me like they're being anticipatory, maybe that things could be not perfect and that this is the right move for share to protect shareholder value. I mean, it's just interesting from my perspective. But anyway, the institution was established as the Montreal City and District Savings Bank in 1846. Shares for the bank were publicly listed on the Montreal Stock Exchange in 1965 and the Toronto Stock Exchange in 1983. In 1987, the institution was renamed the Laurentian Bank of Canada. For sure. And, and I just meant scary in the sense if you just, you know, a lot of people just
1: read the headlines. Right. Laurentian Bank is looking to sell. Like, And, you know, I think that triggers a lot of people like, okay, well, what about uh, First Republic and SVB and all these other right. things that were
0: essentially forced to sell? True, right? true. So because they did. We're like, going to clear that up a little bit. Yeah, one of the headlines I read was like, it's. It puts itself up for sale. That's yeah,
1: that's how that, that, I saw that like- one too. It's, uh. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if that's that, literally that, that may be misleading. But um, anyways, the, the firm uh, Laurentian is Canada's eighth largest bank by total assets. So these are not a small player by any stretch of the imagination. Now, according to data compiled by Bloomberg, it has a market cap of 1.5 billion. Um, the seven banks that are larger are the Royal Bank of Canada, RBC, which is the largest bank, Toronto Dominion, TD, bank of nova scotia or scotia bank it's number four then you've got bmo bank of montreal canadian imperial bank of commerce cibc national bank of canada then hsbc then in eighth place you have laurentian bank which is the eighth largest and um yeah you know i'm noticing that uh All the banks in Canada have a very Canadian ring to it. Royal Bank of Canada, Toronto Dominion, Bank of Nova Scotia, Montreal, uh, Canadian Imperial.
0: So whoever was naming those back in the day. uh, (laughs) Very traditional Canadian names. I mean, heritage moments back to back. Um, So anyway, these headlines read like uh, Laurentian Bank leadership conducting a review of the strategic options, Um, Laurentian Bank puts itself up for sale, hires advisors (laughs) to approach other Canadian lenders. Uh, Anyway. Yeah, that's
1: a good one. Now, so Laurentian Bank of Canada is up for sale with larger rivals now circling the country's eighth largest bank in pursuit of a deal that would continue a trend towards consolidation in financial services. And this is from, you know, inside sources. Laurentian Bank confirmed a press release that it is conducting a strategic review of its options. Um and that's after the Globe and Mail revealed that the lender is exploring a sale. So a little bit of
0: uh, gotcha journalism here and, and secret sources. Yeah, I think um kind of reminds me of uh House of Cards, confidential sources, and all that. But uh, anyway, so I guess L- Laurentian's board of directors hired financial and legal advisors to qui- quietly shop the Montreal-based bank of potential to potential buyers, according to the four sources with knowledge of the process. Um, anyway, um, next up, I think we got the FCAC report, which is just a bunch of other scary stuff um, surveys that they're <laughs> that they're doing. Um, yeah. Let's, uh, let's dive into that. So the FCAC, Financial Consumer Agency of um, Canada, report examines and compares key measures of financial well-being for three groups of Canadians, homeowners with mortgages, homeowners without mortgages, and renters. The data shown here are derived from FCAC's well-being survey that began in August of 2020 to measure the financial impact of the COVID pandemic. Um, and it has about 1,000 respondents typically.
1: Yeah, the survey enables the FCAC to provide a trend analysis of changes in Canadian self-reported financial well-being. The data here represents the period from August 2020 to December of 2022, a time characterized by complex and rapidly changing economic Cycles with context, with increased costs of living, higher interest rates, and of course, in addition to the financial impact of the pandemic. So, Dan, let's go one for one here on some of the key findings from their report. I'll start us off. More than one third, so actually 35.5% of Canadians hold a mortgage. Growing numbers of these Canadians are facing financial challenges
0: two-thirds of mortgage holders report having trouble meeting their financial commitments.
1: The percentage of Canadian mortgage holders who are able to keep up with their financial commitments with no problems has decreased by 22.2% since August of 2020. And now only one in three mortgage holders now say they can meet their financial commitments without difficulty.
0: Scary stuff. Uh, The proportion of mortgage holders who needed to draw on their savings due to the economic context has increased by 20 percentage points since August 2020 and is now uh, the same as that of renters.
1: The percentage of mortgage holders spending more than they earn is at its highest since the survey began back in 2020 of August.
0: Crazy. Um, Yeah, that's not good. Canadian homeowners increasingly need to borrow to meet their daily expenses. The percentage of homeowners with a mortgage who are in this situation rose to 39.5% in December from 27-ish percent in August.
1: Among Canadians who were behind by two or more consecutive months on a bill or payment, homeowners with a mortgage were more likely to have used a payday loan or an online lender than a mortgage-free homeowner. And that's 16.7% versus 12.6%
0: respectively. And the stress level for mortgage holders is growing at a faster rate than for other groups. So um, anyway, we'll dive into these a little bit, uh, time permitting, and and then we can move on.
1: Yes, yeah, so let's look at the percentage of Canadians who have a mortgage now more than a third of Canadians have a mortgage again that figure is 35.5% um, in the charts that are presented in this report uh, indicate a significant difference between the housing arrangements, like, like owning versus renting of people in specific demographic groups, and the housing arrangements of other Canadians.
0: Um, renting was the most common in all demographic groups, experiencing vulnerabilities. This is your income, but these are also people who, uh, who look out for each other. Uh, so, I mean, it's interesting. We, we need to be able to accommodate financial stress, I think. Right. Um, you know, we, as, as landlords kind of think about this as our income, um, but these are also people who, you know, are going to be struggling financially over the over the next little bit. And and I think being able to accommodate that is easier than the alternative, which is, you know, creating or exacerbating financial stress that we're seeing in the market. I mean, recessionary um investment is is well, we haven't really seen that in our generation or not not in like the past several decades, right? So, anyway, they move on to say mortgage holders are the second most common group to experience vulnerabilities. So, remember that tenants are, are the ones experiencing it first. Um, and these are the people that you're providing your um, product to, I suppose. Uh, an exception is low-income Canadians among whom mortgage-free homeownership is more common. Um, this is likely due to a relatively higher proportion of seniors who are mortgage-free, even though they, they live on low incomes, right?
1: Yeah, now let's keep moving on here. The percentage of Canadians who have no problems keeping up with their financial commitments has also been declining. Man, that's like a, a triple negative. Can you explain that one to me? <laughs> they write below that uh, the heading that the percentage of Canadians who say they can keep up with their financial commitments with no problems has been decreasing steadily since August of 2020.
0: So basically, more people are having financial problems. Yes. If only there was an easier way to say that. Oh, wait, there is. Uh, figure three <laughs> decreasing percentages of both homeowners and renters that can meet their financial commitments without any problems. only one in three mortgage holders can meet their financial commitments without difficulty
1: now more Canadians are having difficulty keeping up with multitude of financial commitments again dan we 're talking about scary headlines uh well there's you know there 's a lot of articles coming out right now that are titled such as this: more than half of Canadians say they are two hundred dollars away or less from not being able to pay all their bills at the end of the month. That is scary stuff. Now, in August of 2020, homeowners with a mortgage were more likely than renters to say they could meet their financial commitments with no problems. That's 57% of homeowners with a mortgage and then 45% of renters. However, there is no longer a statistically significant difference between these two groups. Basically, 34.5% versus 37%. 33.2%. So as of December of 2022, only one in three mortgage holders and renters can meet their financial commitments without difficulty.
0: That's crazy. Only one in three mortgage holders and renters can meet their financial commitments without difficulty. Scary stuff. Yeah.
1: I'm kind of at a loss for words there.
0: That Um, is a scary one. Um, Yeah. Maybe just keep Yeah. yeah. So increasing percentage of Canadians needed to draw on savings. And we've seen this show up. Um, Household savings are in decline. Um, And a proportion of the mortgage holders who need to use their savings is now the same as that of renters. So we're seeing financial stress happening on people who hold mortgages. And this is what we were talking about earlier, these variable rates, right?
1: Yeah. And the percentage of Canadians who need to use their savings due to the current economic context has increased significantly over the last two years in August of 2020 homeowners with a mortgage were significantly less likely than renters to report having to use their savings. That's 35% versus 46%. So an 11% delta rate there. But as of December of 2022, again, there is no longer a statistically significant difference between those two groups. Those two groups, again, being um, homeowners with a mortgage and renters.
0: Very, uh very. It's just it. like I guess it, you wonder if it's kind of like a selection issue or I don't know. Anyway, I mean, the the I guess figure five is even even worse. Right. It's people spending more than they earn. <laughs> right. Um, percentage of mortgage holders doing so now is now the highest it's been since the survey began.
1: Yeah, the percentage of Canadians who spend more than they earn has been increasing. So, in other words, more and more people are spending money they don't have, and which means they are now spending borrowed money, whether it be lines of credit, home equity lines of credit, credit cards, or you know any other form of money that you really shouldn't be spending unless you absolutely have to. Which um, unfortunately seems to be the case right now.
0: Yeah, it's uh, yeah, and I guess. Figure six, you go further, shows that Canadians are borrowing now to meet their daily expenses. Yeah, the percentage of Canadians,
1: um, Canadian homeowners with or without a mortgage who borrowed money to manage their daily expenses increased more than the percent of Canadian renters who borrowed for their daily expenses
0: um and what's the last one here I think I skipped one but uh because number eight was more related to payday loans but number nine is um growing portion of renters and homeowners are stressed right uh, at, at the stress level of homeowners with a mortgage is increasing at a faster rate than other groups doesn't surprise me honestly um anyways I mean this whole thing from my perspective is relatively scary I don't know I, I just it makes you I guess this is really sort of the qualitative side of the whole thing right um and like you know we talk about it this idea of recession from like the number perspective like very quantitative way but this is the qualitative side of a recession right things suck look out for each other like seriously check in on each other uh, check in on your fellow mortgage holders your fellow investors your fellow your your tenants right and just see cuz th- this is one of those things where you know this this might actually be that we're all in this together phase of covid finally right <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: no i mean i think i think that's a good place to leave it and and dan I, I couldn't agree more right i mean you know we opened the show up uh talking about the the anecdotes that we're that we're seeing across social media and, and the clients that are having a tough time that we're talking to um you know as you said this is this is nice to to talk about and and it's interesting and and it's numbers and it makes sense when we can look at it like this but Let's not forget, these are real people. This is you and, and I and your mom and dad and brother and, and acquaintance and coworker that are all going through this. So, um, you know, time, times are tough right now, but again, when the going gets tough, the, the tough get going. So let's giddy up and uh, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group. License number 10317, agent license M21004037.
0: Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.